looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte, and on this episode, we're going to be talking about the syndication slaughter. So for those of you that follow me on Twitter, you saw this thread that I put out, and Twitter's been doing really well. The uh, My Twitter page I run right now is at about 35,000 followers, so um, that page has been really blown up in the last uh, last few months, really, last year for the most part. Um, Before we get started into this episode's topic, um, on June 13th, I'm heading out to Charlotte to uh, attend a small conference slash panel, and during the day, I'm going to be doing a meetup. So if you are in the Charlotte area or by the Charlotte area and you would like to meet up with myself, my partner, DJ Smith, and about, call it 15 to 20 other investors in the area, Feel free to shoot me a message, uh, shoot me an email, Dante at VictoryCapGroup.com, and would certainly love to have you guys there. But with that, let's get into this episode's topic. So again, we're talking about the syndication slaughter. Um, really just broke down this whole tweet or this whole thread um, into uh, 10 points, really. I'll go over those. Um, but really, you know, here are a few reasons why some or a good amount of operators are going to get completely obliterated in the next, you know, call it six to 18 months in real estate or multifamily real estate. Um, You know, we've been seeing a lot of distress in the market recently, and it just goes to show how important interest rates are to the investing world. Um, You know, whether it's, you know, gas or oil, whether it's real estate, multifamily, self-storage, the stock market, whatever, you know, even commodities, whatever you're investing in, interest rates have such a huge impact on that. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. Um, and again, with that distress. So, you know, in multifamily in particular, that's kind of what we're focusing on here. Um, for the most part, that's what we operate in. That's what the page is about. And uh, it's, you have so many operators or quote unquote operators, I know you can't see me doing this, but I'm doing quotations, operators that have tried getting into the multifamily space and have no idea what they're doing. So point number one, operator error. So this is really, you know, this will tie into everything else that I'm going to talk about, but it's operators that have no idea what they're doing. These operators don't know how to underwrite, asset manage, account, operate, and they still have a full-time day, day job. You know, in my opinion, these guys have zero business raising and taking on investor private capital when they've never even done a multifamily deal or a real estate deal together, you know, before. Um, they neglect to follow through with their business plan. Odds are they have zero or very little at-risk capital or are literally quite winging it when they hope values continue to go up. So when I say at-risk capital, that means they have no personal capital on the deal. They have raised all the capital themselves. And, uh, you know, from investors, it's none of their own physical cash that they're putting in these deals. So therefore, you know, their at-risk capital is sometimes, you know, little or zero. That, you know, again, have little to no experience, think that real estate values always go up. And that is certainly not the case right now. I mean, you look, 
historically two to three years back, multifamily has, yes, gone up in price and cap rates have compressed because they follow interest rates, which have also been all-time lows, which we'll get into here shortly, and that has caused prices to actually come down. So assets that were trading at maybe three and four caps maybe have to now trade at five and six caps. So just like that, they've gone up. Um, Number two is the debt piece, and this is going to be a few points, but debt overall, um, you've heard about it a lot recently because interest rates have obviously come up. But when interest rates go up, again, cap rate follows. So when interest rates were low, cap rates were low. When interest rates go up, cap rates go up. And really, basically what it means is if you buy a three cap, but your interest rate is a 4% interest rate, you're basically negative yielding by 1%. So you really have to buy at the same cap rate as your interest rate, or you could do it slightly below if you're going to add value, but a lot of times you want that to be higher. So the yield or the delta is there. So you know, all-time rate lows, all-time low interest rates have caused all-time low compressed cap rates, which in turn inflated real estate values and prices. Um, if you bought it a three cap and didn't add any value, or at least, you know, if you didn't add 30% of value and you didn't execute the business plan, um, you know, you're probably breaking even or you're negative basically in value right now. Because if you look at, you know, a four cap and you went down to a three cap or vice versa, um, you're now looking at a 25% delta in value if you go from three to four uh, cap or roughly whatever that math is. So if you added 25 or 30% of value to the asset, that all just got washed away because values have come down so much and cap rates have gone up. So to sum this up, a lot of investors are either upside down if they took high leverage or they're just breaking even, meaning the the property is worth what the debt is on the property or basically the principal balance, or in some cases it's lower. And therefore you can't really sell without taking a, a loss. Point number three, the big one is floating rate. So many operators chose floating rate debt when interest rates were at all time lows. Um, why not just lock in at the low all time? You know, you, you look at interest rates historically, let's say they're anywhere from two and a half to 18% in the last 30 or call it 40 years because in the 1980s was around 18%. Why wouldn't you lock in an interest rate when they're at all time historic lows? Well, the reason for that is because if you take on floating rate debt, you can essentially get greater proceeds um, for your loan. So maybe instead of getting 70% loan to value, you can get 80% loan to value. So you know, what this means is the investors are going to have to, they are able to, or the GPs, the operators, they're able to raise less capital because now they're taking on an 80% loan to value instead of 70%. So they only have to raise 20% of the down payment plus other fees and costs instead of 30% of the down payment with other fees and costs. And what this does is this is going to juice the returns. So the less money you bring to the deal, the higher your returns are going to be, but also your risk is immensely higher because you have so much more debt you have to service now. And like I said, values come down, that 80% loan to value maybe is now 100% loan to value and the deal's worth the debt is what that really means. Which brings me to my next point on coming from floating rate debt now we can talk about no rate caps or too expensive rate caps. So basically when you buy a rate cap, it caps how high your floating interest rate or your floating debt can go up. Well, not all lenders required a rate cap sometimes, and the ones that did, um, we'll go into that in a second, but 
not all lenders required a rate cap and the cheaper operators said, nope, screw it. I'm not going to spend money on the rate cap. Why would I do that? Interest rates aren't going to triple in a year. How would that ever happen? Well, it's happening and they're having the consequence of that. So, you know, if they opted out to buy a rate cap there, you know, we've seen it and I'll talk about it in a little bit. An operator's deal went from three and a half percent interest rate to 8%. Those that had to get a rate cap or chose to get one, that rate cap may have been only like twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars, depending on you know the size of the deal. That same fifty thousand dollar rate cap literally costs over a million dollars right now. So I'm a hundred percent positive not a single soul had that in their underwriting that their rate cap would go up at such a, a great amount. Basically, went from fifty to a million dollars, so it went up nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars in some instances. Obviously, it's different for each deal, but this is. Uh, a few deals that we've seen. So because they have to pay for this rate cap now, there's a lot of syndicators that have completely shut off distributions to the investors. So your cash on cash is not being produced anymore. And because they have to use those distributions to pay that rate cap. So it's not like the investors just stopped the distributions to put the money aside. It is being spent on rate caps right now to keep the deals alive. Point number five um, isn't really an operator error, but it's something that is affecting each deal. And when you pile on with all these other issues, it gets pretty ugly, and that's going to be insurance increase. So during COVID, a lot of uh, there was basically a you know state of emergency. Everyone stopped working. This caused you know plants, manufacturing plants, and you know whatever it was to shut down and stop production. So things like lumber weren't being produced as much, or they weren't being you know brought to the states to build property, homes, whatever. I remember, you know, two by four prices, you know, uh, went up four times as much as the original price before COVID. So because everything was inflated and because there was a supply chain issue, the price of materials have gone up drastically. Well, that directly is going to correlate into insurance costs because insurance insures the cost of those buildings. And if you now have to spend 30, 40, 50% more to cover that building or to rebuild it, then insurance is going to pass that cost over to you. So I know this can't be avoided even by the top operators in the multifamily realm. They are still having to take the, you know, the brute force of these uh, insurance premium renewals that are just, you know, up 30, 40, 50%. But again, when you pile it on with all these other issues, it's really ugly. Um, I think one of our, one of our insurance premiums just renewed last month and it wasn't that much more on a on a 32 unit building it was i think $2500 more a year which really really wasn't that bad because we've pushed rents way more than we thought we were going to so in our instance on that one asset we were able to absorb it pretty well um same thing with another one that renewed in december so very fortunate there can't complain number 6 loan maturity Remember in you know point number three, how I was talking about floating rate debt? Well, some of these operators took on floating rate debt as as little as two years of term in some cases. So basically, the loan becomes due, and when interest rates have almost tripled for permanent debt, they can't refinance at the value they hoped they could. So they have to sell, but now they have to sell. Values have dropped by roughly 30%, we said. So that's going to wipe out all investor equity as well. So that one kind of, you know, speaks to itself. You know, when they're forced to sell, you're under the gun. You can't keep the asset because you don't have debt on it. You can't refinance because interest rates aren't where you thought they were. 
So the proceeds are going to get pulled back and the debt payments are going to be too high. And then you can't sell the deal either because the values have dropped so significantly and all the investor equity or, you know, an initial investment is now gone. So that's a, a huge issue in itself, if that makes sense. Um, this one's really, again, more location. I called something else in the tweet, but I'm going to say location for this podcast. Um, there's a lot of operators that invested in markets they've never been in and knew nothing about the areas they were investing in. And they were attracted to these areas because prices were cheap and prices were cheap because it was in a bad part of town. It's not a very desirable area. So they got into these deals that they didn't even know really what they were getting into. Now you have you know a deal in maybe a high crime area um, or a non-desirable area, and that's going to cause lots of property management turnover because property managers a lot of times don't like managing these assets. If the property manager is not meeting the uh, operator's expectations for uh, income and holding a certain expense threshold, um, there's going to be lots of property management turnover. And the other problem is you can't really sell the asset. If the seller originally was having trouble selling the asset and you were able to get it and you weren't able to get any other deals, it's because it wasn't a very attractive deal to begin with. Yeah, it looked good on paper, but now you can't hit your returns and you're going to have to take a haircut on the sale price to get out of the deal and get this, you know, basically baggage off your back or get rid of this property. So that's definitely a tricky one. And that's why we pay so close attention to the locations we invest in. Um, point number eight is just mismanagement. So this is just an operator who takes on the asset management role, but doesn't actually do the job. Um, a great example of this is an operator that we had, uh, we had some investors, unfortunately, invest with, and that's uh, Apple's way, as I'm sure you guys have all heard about the uh, $229 million portfolio foreclosure that Arbor did on this group, which was roughly 2,300 multifamily units. Um, these guys took on value-add projects but forgot to do the value-add part. The you know I have a relationship with the lender. I was able to call up the lender, and he, and he told me, you know, from what we're seeing here, they had not taken a single draw for their loans. And what that was is basically what a draw is, is as you do renovations and capex to a property, if the loan type supports it, you can actually take a draw, um, or it's like kind of like a construction loan almost, and you get that money back that you invested in the property and you start paying interest on it. So that way there's you know a little bit less uh, cash outlay. Well, they didn't do a single one of these. And you know talking to some locals as well, they bought in total crap areas. That kind of goes back to the point before this of buying in, in very bad uh, locations. So they had no idea what they're doing. Their debt went from three and a half percent to 8%. Um, they didn't account for property tax reassessments. They bought in rough areas. They basically did everything wrong. And again, had to give back 2,300 multifamily units to the lender. And with this, they lost 100% of investor capital from what I'm being told, which totaled well over $20 million. So poof, just like that, $20 million of investor capital gone. Number nine, building strong reserves. This one you hear me talk about a lot. The smart investors will fund a reserve account um, prior to closing. So they have a rainy day fund and they will continue to build that account each month to ensure massive emergency fund for each property. So whatever that is, you have those funds set aside. That's huge. And if this means tenants stop paying or multiple large repairs come up, you're covered. Plain and simple. Having reserves, a lot of investors are not doing a reserve account and that's going to show. And number 10, my last point here is uh, assuming stupid growth, really. So if an operator underwrote more than 3% or 
or arguably even 2% annual rent growth after stabilization, best of luck to them. There's no way you're going to hit it. Um, the days of getting 12% annual rent growth is over, in my opinion. Uh, there's a lot of brokers who encourage these uneducated buyers that that uh, growth would continue to uh, would justify, basically, that growth would continue to happen. And they're just doing that to uh, the brokers, that is, are doing that, not all brokers, but some brokers are doing that to justify their pricing guidance on the assets they were selling. So that that's a huge issue because if you can't hit those assumptions, you're not going to be able to hit your returns and maybe not even service your debt if it continues to go up. Um, rents don't always go up. If you look historically, yes, over a long period of time, they go up, but not every day. So, you know, sometimes they're flat for a year. Sometimes they go down. Um, rents can go down. I want everyone to know that. We have one property. Well, I wouldn't say they really went down, but we were able to hit rents well above our business plan. And uh, we have a few vacancies and we've pulled back the rent a little bit on those units still above the business plan, but they're not the top rents we have at the property. So rents have come down a little bit in that specific market. Granted, it wasn't a super high rental period in like the late winter, early spring. Um, and really in the coming months, you guys will see many operators fall, unfortunately. Um, this is already happening, but it's reality. The investors that bought with long-term fixed rate debt that built up strong reserves, underwrote conservatively, they will survive this. Um, cycles are part of the economy. Uh, those who are prepared and we're not greedy, they'll survive. That's plain and simple. So we don't love to see operators fail, but again, it's reality. When people take uh, major risk, looking for major reward, they're going to fail. And that's going to bring up much more opportunity for us um, in the future. And, you know, probably Q3 to Q4 of 2023 is when we're going to see a lot of these opportunities but I don't see a dry up in the multifamily market because there's so much, there's billions of capital, billions of dollars of capital sitting on the sideline waiting to get into these deals that are quote unquote distressed. So it'll, it'll still be, uh, it'll still be tough to find some deals because there's still going to be competition. And, uh, in my opinion, the competition you're going to be dealing with is a little bit more educated and that's why they're on the tail end to buy these deals. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to us. You can shoot me an email, Dante at Victory Cap Group, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit VictoryCapGroup.com. See you next week.